0: Tonight, if you do have a handout, you'll see on the handout that we're talking about the five views of an ordered life. This is a reprise of a house set in order by Pastor Harpool. This lesson tonight that I will be teaching, uh, Pastor Harpool gave me the lesson. This is his lesson. Um, He outlined it, and I just added into it my thoughts and my feelings as uh, the Lord had laid upon my heart. So this lesson tonight is something that Pastor Harpool wanted me to teach to us in this house today. Amen. How many love the Word of God? I'm glad that it is a lamp unto my feet and that it is a light unto my path. I'm glad that when everything in life is dark and dreary and down and out, that I can look to the word of God and it gives hope and it gives peace and it gives strength in a time of weakness. I love the word of God. We're talking about a house set in order. Everybody say, I need my house in order. We're going to talk about five Five things or five views of an ordered life. Number one we're going to talk about and dive into is that an ordered life follows God's pattern. Everybody say God's pattern. We're going to talk about it providing natural boundaries and disciplines. We're going to, our third point tonight is we're going to talk to that it gives structure to family resulting in healthy relationships and that an ordered life is the path to financial blessings and a sustained financial life. And the last but not least is that it provide it will provide strength in times of uncertainty, physical issues, and crisis. Pattern. What is a pattern? So I, I went to Brother Webster. Anybody know Brother Webster Dictionary? And the definition of a pattern is to give regular or intelligible form to. A pattern is simply a way by which we are to operate or behave. You can be with someone for just any amount of time, and if you're with them long enough, you will be able to tell what kind of person they are by the pattern by which they possess. So a pattern is simply something we operate in or a way that we behave. We understand by the word of God that God is a God of patterns and that everything in life is patterned after something. I, I was talking to someone on one of my accounts today that was a, a younger owner and his uh, daughter and she was making reference to a a fashion or uh, something, I don't know, I, I you know, much about fashion. I'm about as cool as I'm going to get. And, um, and, and I looked at her and I said, I think it was bell bottoms. I think she was talking about bell bottoms. And I said, Oh, bell bottoms way before my time, but I've seen them since my time. And they're coming back. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever fashion we see these kids with the dad new balances on, we all, all of us dads, we killed that about 10 or 15 years ago. We're rocking it again. We, we've Everything comes full circle because there's nothing new under the sun because everything that we have today started with a pattern in the mind of God. And in the mind of God, God spoke it into existence and it became as though it already was. See, God's pattern began with a simple calling. It began in creation. He spoke it into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved Upon the face of the waters. In other words, God took a situation that was chaotic, a situation that had no order, and in a mere utterance of His voice, He spoke and things began to come into order. Sometimes we look at our lives and we we, we say to ourselves, Man, my life seems so chaotic. It seems so, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say. But all we sometimes need is to get down in a place of prayer and hear the voice of God and dive into the word of God and let God's creative word begin to speak into our hearts. Peace be still. Let him say, hold on, I'm coming. Things are going to be all right. Sometimes we need the word of God to begin to speak that creative power into our lives. Because some things are just one word away from being brought into order. I was telling my wife the other day, um, we were having a conversation. Um, It seems as many today, I'm working more than I've ever worked I worked 12, 13 hours a day, and I was um, volunteered for our homeschool. I'm just kidding. I love it. I was volunteered to be the head coach of our um, homeschool association's uh, girls' volleyball program. So I'm over the junior high, the JV, and the varsity. I'm the head coach over the varsity, and I love it. Uh, I enjoy teaching volleyball. I knew nothing about it. How many can say, thank God for a YouTube education? amen I love YouTube you don't know how to do something YouTube it it doesn't mean that person did it right it just means they filmed it my education I've got a couple of C's and D's in my YouTube education because I thought they had the answer and reality was they did it wrong too trial by error but I I, I love coaching and from July all the way till the end of October I am busy almost seven days a week. I'm gone Monday. I leave home and I I, I I'm at work at 5 a.m. I get home around 5, 5 30. I change clothes. I go to volleyball practice until 8. I get home around 8 30 and I finally eat and then I fall in the bed. I never thought, as cool as I am, that I would say I just fall in the bed and go to sleep. I have arrived. And that's Monday, Tuesday. I never miss church on Wednesday. And then Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday. It consumes me. I looked at my wife and I said, Lacey, I said, I cannot wait. I love volleyball, but I can't wait. I got three more weeks. And I can't wait till it's over because my life feels just out of order. Feels like I'm so busy trying to fulfill obligations that my life is out of order. We have to be very careful that we don't get so consumed with life. And other people's expectations of what we should do and what we should be. That our life gets out of order. What God did in Genesis is he took chaos and he created order. The earth, the ecology, the human anatomy and all the celestial bodies are held in that order in Genesis chapter 1. This is God's pattern for a sustained life. The earth has pattern of process that not only brings newness to it, but also brings sustainability to all creation. It's amazing to me that until Noah, it never rained. And then when it rained and the water came from the ground, the process of evaporation and condensation began and it's still happening today. That what God put into place in Genesis where he separated the heavens and the earth and and, and he separated the sky from the land and the sea from the land and all of those things that God spoke into existence are right before our very eyes on a daily basis. Because God is a God of order. When you look at the ark that Noah built, God told Noah, Noah, there's coming a flood. And because there's coming a flood, he said, Noah, I know it's never rained. I'm not going to explain it, but here are the dimensions to an ark that I want you to prepare. I want you to take this ark, and I want you to build it. It has to be this wide, this tall, this deep, this many floors. has to have one door, and I want you to pitch it with slime because there is coming a flood. Imagine being Noah. Never had there been a boat built. Never had it rain. The Bible says that the dew would just come up from the ground and it would water and saturate for vegetation for them to eat. But God said there's coming a flood and to get your life in order. I want to tell somebody today that Jesus is coming back. That the Lord is coming back. And don't put off today what you think you may have tomorrow. Because there's going to come a day where he's going to come back in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him. That's why every day I have to ensure that I have a life that is in order with the word of God. God said, no, I want you to build this boat. And Noah, I could see him going, okay, let me go on down here and get my gopher wood. Let me go down here, get some nails, and let me just begin to to build this ark. Now, God told Noah, Noah, you just can't build an ark any way you want to. I have a pattern for you to build this ark after. He said there's a specific way that if this ark is going to work, you have to build this boat. You have to build it to the exact dimensions. And I was thinking when I was reading this, I thought, What kind of tape measure did Noah use? I thought to myself, I get a cubit is about, you know, they say five hands. You imagine him trying to lay out the ark and he's going one, two. Maybe that's just me. I'm a little strange in my mind when I read sometimes. I see it in my mind's eye, but... I thought, man, imagine he said it has to be so long and so deep and so tall and make it three floors, Noah. And I want you to pattern it with one door, Noah. I want you to know because in that one door is the only way that people are going to come into safety and people are going to get out when it is safe. Can I tell you that the pattern of Noah's Ark is a direct representation of our salvation today? God said, Noah, build that ark with three floors and one door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the one door. There's three ways that we must come into the kingdom of God. We must repent. We baptize in Jesus' name and fill with his spirit. That's the three floors. There is a pattern for everything God does. People say, well, the Old Testament isn't applicable to us because that's under the law. No, we live under the dispensation of God. And God said, I am the author and the finisher. I am the first and the last. Whatever he says from Genesis to Revelation, we have to make sure that we are in order by it. Look at the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. They're wandering around. And God says, I want to create a place where, Moses, you can come and you can have the people and they can meet me. It's a pattern, a design for the tabernacle of Moses or the tent of meeting was given to Moses by God on Mount Sinai. This was the earthly tabernacle was to prophetically point the way to God. God said, I can't show anybody my who I am because you can't handle it. But what I will do is give you a way to get your sins rolled back. That was the Old Testament way. When they created the, the, the Old Testament tabernacle of Moses, the very first thing that the believers saw according to the pattern was the altar of sacrifice. This is the type and shadow of repentance because it was at the... Altar of sacrifice where the family member would have to bring their best to God and they would have to give it to the priest and the priest would take that sacrifice and they would kill it upon the altar of sacrifice. It was shaped in a square, but it it, it came down to catch all of the, the life, the blood of that animal. Now, I don't want to get graphic here, but I don't know if you've... I, I, I love the city, but I grew up wearing bib overalls as a kid, no shirt, and a bowl cut. And I had ribs back then. I ran around barefooted. I was so country, our nearest neighbor was a mile and a half away. I didn't mow grass. I had an old straw broom, and I swept the leaves. I, I'm country as country can be, not just by sound, but, but... When you would go and you would take the life of an animal, it's not a, a, a clean scene. The blood would go everywhere. And what that priest would do is he would collect the blood from the altar because the altar sacrifice was the pattern. And then he would go over to the laver of water. Laver of water is a representation, a type and shadow of baptism because repentance is not enough because you can say you're sorry and God will forgive you, but you have to wash off the remnants of your sin. So the priest would watch, walk over to the the laver of water and he would wash his arms and his hands with the water symbolizing he was washing off the sin. Then they would go into the the, the place of worship where the candlestick was and the table of showbread and they would worship there and only the priest could go behind the veil into which they would lay the sacrifice. And if God was pleased with repentance and the baptism, God would, his spirit would come down and consume the sacrifice and all the blood upon the altar. It was a pattern. A pattern of an ordered life that if the sins of Israel were to be rolled away for another year, they had to follow the pattern. If we're going to make it to heaven, we have to have a ordered life that is patterned after God's word. There are many other examples of patterns that the Lord established throughout time to create order. And that was the law. He created the pattern of a structure of a family with a husband and a wife. He created the headship that the husband be the head of the home. He created specific roles for the husband and the wife, et cetera. The many, many different patterns throughout the word of God. And these are what God instituted for order. Everybody say order. Now the deviation Of the pattern is the plot of the enemy. It's the enemy's job to create chaos in your life and in your surroundings in order to get your mind, your body, and your spirit out of order. There's nothing worse. How many times have you ever been traveling... And you pull up, and we got to take a a, a restroom break, got to get out, stretch the legs. Everybody's drank, especially when the kids were little, they drank all the drink that you gave them. They eat all the snacks within the first 20 minutes, and then you got like five. Are we there yet? Pull into the gas station or to the rest area only to walk up and to see that the restroom is what? Out of order. There's no worse feeling in the world than having a a a, a toddler or a young a, a kid that's really young in age, and they're bouncing around all over the store. And then you, what do you do? You go to the owner of the establishment, and you say, "My kid, my 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 son, my daughter They really got to use the restroom. Is there another restroom?" And that owner will say, "Well." The public one is out of order, but because you came to me and you asked me, I've got a secret restroom that is only for the employees, they can use that. Maybe I'm the only southern redneck guy that would go ask, hey, you got another restroom Because I don't want to take the chance of putting my kids back in the car trying to find another place. Can I tell you that sometimes when the enemy says, hey, you're out of order going to church. You don't need church that much. That's out of order. Sometimes you just got to go to the owner of the establishment and say the devil's telling me that things are out of order. That this isn't where I ought to go. I've come to tell somebody today that if the devil's telling you that this house is out of order, you know you're in the right place. I'm trying not to sneak a preach, but I'm excited. I'm honored to stand here before you today. So I want to know what the pattern of my life is to be so I don't get out of order. Now, in each of the five views, the enemy lives and functions in disorder. The first one we're going to talk about tonight is boundaries and disciplines. Boundaries and disciplines. We have to have boundaries. And disciplines. I was talking with uh, Brother Broad Street a couple weeks ago. We went and had lunch, and he we were talking about boundaries. He was giving me this book, and I'm 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 reading it now, and it's about boundaries and about establishing boundaries. And he he gave an example of of um, you with your kids. If your kids on the couch and and they say, "Hey, Dad, would you bring me a sweet tea?" Right? I have. I have one decision but two options. I can say to my my child, yes, I'll bring it. Then at that point, I've created the boundary that says, I'm willing to do it. But now, because I'm willing to do it, I can't complain and say, hey, next time, get up and get it yourself. If I'm going to say no or yes, I have to be comfortable with the boundary that I've set and know that that's as far as I'm going to go. I thought, oh, it hit me right in the heart. I was like, oh, man, that's tough. How many times have we said, yeah, I'll bring you the Cheez-Its. I'll bring you the snack. Hey, man, I'm busy. I'm studying. I'm reading. I'm I'm in the garage working. Can you next time just get your own snacks? It hit me hard because I'm like, God, forgive me. Because I didn't have that boundary set in my life that if I'm willing to say yes, I take away my right to complain. I liked it. Amen. I amen myself. I, feel, I got that from Pastor. This is his lesson. I want to say what he said. Amen. I'm going to amen myself. Ownership cannot be established without boundaries. Everybody say ownership. Point to yourself and say, it's mine. A fence is the indication of ownership. If the line or separation is not known, then chaos ensues. There has to be a line drawn. When, before we moved, I'm sorry for the stories, but I, they're, just, they're relatable. Brother Brown, I remember. I am particular about my grass. I just am. I like mowing, it's peace for me. I put in my earbuds and I listen to podcasts. I listen to music, and there are people driving down my subdivision going, What is that guy doing? Because I'm out there getting it on a push mower. Because I like to push. And I need the extra. I got to get my steps in. And and I remember before we moved, I had a neighbor that would mow his grass lower than mine. He would almost scalp it. And I'd mow mine as high as it would go to keep it healthy and to keep it fresh. And there was a definite line drawn. You could see where the boundary line, the, the line of property was. And I'm out there. I always... I didn't think about it at first until one day I came out to mow, and he mowed about six feet over my property line down to the ground. And I said, help me, Holy Ghost. I gave that lawnmower a pull, and I'm walking. He comes out. I'm like, praise the Lord. hey! You killed all my grass on this side. Thank you. And uh, I went to him one day, and I said, hey, Hey, I appreciate you mowing all the way over to my sidewalk. But you know what? I really enjoy mowing grass. And if let's just stay. You, you mow your, up to this line where your, park, your property line is. I'll mow mine. That way your grass looks the way you want it. And you are able to mow it. And I'll do mine. He goes, you know what? That's a great idea. I said, praise God. Without conflict, I created a boundary between him and I, and never took away my credibility as a Christian. Because I create, we think of boundaries. We think that, oh, if I set this boundary, if I, if I say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that, then no one's going to want to be around me and no one's going to like me. It's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. Boundaries and fences are there to protect you. So many times we think, oh, man, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't go here, and I can't say that, I can't watch this, I can't listen to that. And I, I, I've said it many times. In fact, as a young believer knew at, at 15 years old in 1994, I had many people tell me that, including my family. Well, you're going to that church down there. You can't do this, and you can't do that. And I told my pastor at the time, and he said, oh, no, Brother Tim. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you choose to have boundaries in your life, you will flourish in the blessings of God. we got to stop looking at boundaries as something that's trying to keep us in and look at it as God is trying to keep things from getting in. It's not a prison. It is a protection. Many, we look at the fences and the boundaries as, I just can't go do that. I want to really want to do that. But could it be that those very boundaries that have been established and those fences that have been put in place in your life, not only by the word of God, but personal boundaries in your life to, are, are there to protect your mind and your heart and your body and your spirit? Boundaries have to be established to keep us and protect us from the devices of the enemy. Because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, the enemy is out to steal. Kill and to destroy each and every one of us. It doesn't matter if you've had the Holy Ghost for 50 years or you got it five minutes ago. The enemy is after your soul. And the thing he is after most is the boundaries and the fences that you will establish in your life. Because if he can get past the fence, he can get to your heart if you get get past the boundary or not necessarily get past the boundary but if he can cause you to draw in that boundary and say, well, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. That's that's kind of old school. That's kind of old Pentecost. No, no. There's nothing old about the Word of God or Pentecost. we got to establish boundaries in our life that says, this is what I am. This is as far as I'm going to go. And regardless of who asks me to step beyond that, I'm not going any further. Now, I'll be transparent with you, both young adults and And youth, you may lose some friends along the way because not everybody's boundary is going to match up with your boundary line. I pray that you have enough courage to know when to say, no, I'm not going there. No, I'm not doing that. We have to guard our lives with everything we do, everything we see, and everything we say. I tell my kids, I said, you have to be careful I look at, you can ask them after service, I'll just grab their phone randomly and just start looking at it. Not because I think they're going to do something wrong, but because I want them to know there's a boundary. As long as you're in my house, there's a boundary. I check and make sure that not what they're trying to look at, but make sure that there's something else not trying to look at them. Because I tell them, once you see it, you can never unsee it. Once you hear it, you can never unhear it. Once you go a certain distance past the boundary that the word of God establishes and you establish and the enemy knows that you will creak that boundary or that fence a little, push the boundaries of that a little bit. Well, is it really a heaven? You know what? I'd rather go to heaven with everything I got and not have any, temp, any touch of the world than to push the line of my life and not make it in the rapture. What a shame it would be to be in the church and to worship on Sunday and be full of the Holy Ghost and miss the rapture all because we're not willing to establish boundaries in our lives. We got to say, I won't do this. I won't go there. I won't participate in that. Those are boundaries. Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We got to keep our minds pure, our hearts pure, our lives pure with worship and with praise. We got to think on the goodness of God. Trust me, there's many times when you drive as much as I do. Anybody see my little red Corolla out there? Anybody ever see me driving in it? A few people. It just clicked over 378,000 miles. And I bought it with zero in 2012. I drive a lot. And as you drive a lot and you're by yourself, sometimes the enemy can talk and you can get focused on the things that aren't uplifting and aren't true and aren't honest and aren't just and aren't pure. But that's when I have to check myself and say, no, 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 you're not allowed in this fence of my mind. You're not allowed within the confines of my mind. And I just simply start thanking God, Lord, I thank you for this car. I thank you for the health. I thank you that I can see the road as I'm driving. Trust me, I lay hands on my car. I've said it before, I'll say it real quick. At a 1979 Dodge Ram D50, that thing was a machine. Four speed, hole in the passenger side, no headliner. One day I was driving about 50 miles an hour, Brother Shields, you know what I'm talking about, that vehicle. Four speed, that thing, going 50 miles an hour, sound like I'm going 120, getting passed by mopeds. But I was had my 260 air conditioner on. For those of you that don't know, that's both windows down, almost going 60 miles an hour. And I broke down in the middle of the night coming back from a youth rally one night. And I didn't have anybody to call. I didn't know what to do. I had the hood up at the time, I didn't have anybody showing me that kind of stuff, and I just knew if you broke down, you opened the hood. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. I popped the hood up. Yep, there's an engine. All right, close it down. Got back in it. Back in the days, you had a little carburetor. You had to pump the you had to pump the gas a little bit, get a little fuel shot into the carburetor, and it click, 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 nothing, and then it would start to go and act like it had asthma and it was coughing. And I said, "Lord, in the name of Jesus, right now, command it to start." And man, she went, and I went on praising and singing. I had an option at that point; I could have got mad and extended my boundary to do something that was not cohesive to my Christianity. But what good would that have done other than make me feel guilty and condemn me? So what I did is I started praising him. I said, thank you, Lord. Let's this thing go. Let's go. Fourth gear, 52 miles an hour, screaming down Highway 70. But I created a boundary in my life a long time ago. When I got the Holy Ghost, nobody told me I shouldn't say those words anymore. Nobody told me, hey, don't dress that way anymore. Nobody told me don't do those things anymore. You know what told me to do that was the Holy Ghost. The Bible says it will lead you and guide you into all truth. Sometimes we need to stop listening to the opinions and the boundaries of somebody else and create a Holy Ghost boundary and say, Lord, what do you want for my life? Somebody say amen. If we're able to live a victorious life daily, we have to have boundaries, have to have disciplines to guard and protect our hearts. Cultures and countries exist today because of boundaries, state lines, country lines, They are there to establish a line that this is our territory. This is our land. This is what we will defend. This is what we will fight for. Are established by boundaries. As a person that has an ordered life, you have to establish a boundary that says this is worth fighting for. The word is worth fighting for. Now, what about disciplines, Brother Barbara? I'm glad you asked. Disciplines are routines. Now, I'm a creature of routine. I know I'll kind of give shed a little light into my life a little bit more. Every night before I go to bed, I iron my clothes. I lay my clothes out on the bed, mainly because I, I want to know what I'm wearing the next day, even though I generally wear khakis and a Coca-Cola polo every day. I want to make sure it's the right polo. I lay it out. I make sure it's ironed. And because I leave very early and I don't want to wake up my wife or my kids that early in the morning. And then I lay them out a specific way. I, I am OCD. I lay my clothes down a specific way. That way when I pick them up and I take them into, I walk into the bathroom and I can lay them there where I get dressed. They are where in proper order where I put the t-shirt on first. Then I put the polo on and so forth and so on. I told you I'm a little weird. But I've created this routine that I do everything the same way almost every day. I leave my house. My boss tells me all the time. He says, Tim, I never have to worry where you are because if you're late to one of your customers, they'll call me worried about you because you are generally at their account at the same time on the same day every week. Because I've disciplined myself that that is the way I want to run my business. That's how I run my Coca-Cola business and establish my relationship by being disciplined in my daily routine. See, because routines build predictability. They're healthy and it creates an upward movement in education. If If I do a routine, it teaches me how to be more efficient more faster in what I do on a daily basis, get more done in the time that I'm given, and I can be disciplined in that. Just the Let me just say this. Just the discipline of coming to church regular on Sunday is not enough discipline in our lives. It adds to the discipline of every believer, but it can't be the only discipline that we have. As pastor says many times, if the only time we're opening up this word is on Sunday or Wednesday, then we're spiritually anemic. We've got to create disciplines every single day. It may be hard for you to get up and, and read the word early in the morning. Do it in the evening. I listen to it in my car as I drive. I, I listen to worship music as I drive. I've created disciplines that will keep my life and my spirit in order and in a vertical alignment in my relationship with God. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I need church. I, can't, I just don't want to have order in my life on Sunday. I don't want to have disciplines in my life on Sunday. Never have I ever said to my kids, uh, well, all right, guys, get up. I guess we got to go to church today. I've never said those words to my kids. I said, come on, guys, get up. We, got, we're going, we get to go to church today. Let's go. We got to get there on time. I got to be early. I'm early. If you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you're on, if you're on time, you're late. <laughs> That's me. That's my boundary. And, and some, some people in your family will try to push that boundary in your life. <laughs> Somebody say, bless him, Lord. I need help right now. <laughs> Having a disciplined mindset that says every time that the church doors are open, I'm going to be there. The mindset that says things, events, circumstances, ball games, they're all going to come up, but I made up my mind that as long as the doors of the church are open, I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to be in the house of God. I understand careers and sometimes you miss because of jobs, but we can't get, it's too close to the last days to just miss for the sake of missing. As we see the day approaching, he's coming. And I've got to be disciplined, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but on Monday morning when the alarm clock hits. I've got to be disciplined, not in my physical routine, but in my spiritual man. I've got to be disciplined that I have a prayer life, that I have a, a life that reads the word and conveys my my witness to those that I'm around. What good is it to come into this house and to lift my hands and to shout and to dance and to speak in tongues if I never are disciplined enough to tell anybody about it outside of this house. My disciplines are not just so I can be saved, but that I can help others be saved because I don't want to become a stumbling block. Harvard researchers found over a 15-year period that weekly church attendance improved physical and mental health of millions of Americans by 25 to 30%. Over a time frame of 15 years. 15 years, they, they studied that people that went to church on a regular basis and were involved in spiritual activities and events more than once a week had an improved life of, of 20 to 25 to 30%. That sounds pretty good to me. I'll take 25% all day long. He said, I don't know, that's not that much. Okay, well, if your boss said, hey, I'm gonna give you a 25% raise tomorrow, I guarantee you Sunday, I'm gonna see you running the aisles. 25% is a lot when you put it in the right perspective. Amen. The mere function of a discipline becomes the strength of the individual. If I can do right, even in the time that wrong is present, I become stronger. If I can just do right, even when everybody else may be doing wrong, I know I can become stronger in him. Romans seven eighteen and 22 through 22 says, For I know, Paul said to the church at Rome, these are Christians, these are people that are believers. He said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He said, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He said, I know that when I want to do good, I have to fight against the evil that is around me, my natural man. I got to fight against it, but I know that if I can do good in the midst of evil because my life is disciplined, I will delight in the law of God. My delight in the law of God comes from my daily disciplined life. An ordered life is filled with disciplines. An ordered life is filled with disciplines. It is necessary for all living things because without it, there will be confusion around us. The importance of that discipline plays crucial in every one of our lives because a life without discipline is like a ship without a radar. It's moving in a certain direction, but it really doesn't know if it's going the right way. And that discipline that we possess in our lives brings our lives into purpose, to which purpose helps create order. So if I have discipline in my life, I find my purpose. And when I find my purpose, I create order in my life. And when I have order in my life, I can fulfill my purpose because I'm living by my disciplines. It, you know, it's kind of like driving. How many got driver's license? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people. My right foot wants to press the gas pedal. And see how fast I can go without getting caught. I don't know if it's true. I don't see Brother Kyle here tonight, but old rule of thumb I've heard, and I don't think it's true, but nine, you're fine, ten, you're mine. I've tried to not live by that rule, but you know, my right foot wants to press on that gas pedal. However, because a law has been established on the earth a pattern that says on a highway, your speed limit is 55. And I know that my discipline, which is called Farm Bureau Insurance, (laughs) that discipline in my life says, if you go faster than that speed limit and you get a ticket, we're going to discipline you. So because my flesh wants to go fast, my discipline says no, no, no. Sometimes your flesh just want to do things that are not cohesive to the spirit of God. But that discipline that you created on Monday morning prayer or Tuesday night prayer or Wednesday night Bible study says, Oh, no, no, because you've created this discipline, you don't have to worry about that chaos. Now you have order. Because an undisciplined life creates a reputation that's not good for us. And reputation, a reputation is established by these determined boundaries. Romans 14 and 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of. I've always been taught throughout my life of living for God that your reputation precedes you. In other words, my reputation is the direct indicator of where my boundaries are. You ever got that one person that that name gets mentioned and you immediately think of who they are, how they act, what they do? I'll be honest for you. There's those people in my life. You mentioned some of my family members. I automatically know the reputation based simply off of the lack of discipline and the lack of boundaries in their life. I don't want my good to be evil spoken of. I don't want to put my life in a position where my, 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 my life can, my reputation in the kingdom of God and my reputation. I'm not trying to say that I'm on a pedestal or I'm arrived or any of that. I want to do it because I want people to see Christ in me. I don't want my reputation, Christ in me, the hope of glory to be ruined. I don't want to be the cause for somebody to say, you know what? If that's what Christianity is, I don't want to live it. If I don't have good boundaries set in my life that will keep me close in my relationship with God, eventually my reputation won't align with him. And sometimes my greatest testimony is not what I say, but it's how I live. I want to live my life with such boundaries that create a reputation. When like Peter, they saw him after they took Jesus and the damsel looked at Peter said, hey, you're his disciple, aren't you? I remember seeing you with him. I understand the story that he denied Jesus, but I want people to be able to recognize when they're looking for Jesus that I've been with him. I want my reputation to say he knows how to pray. He's a worshiper. He knows the word. He loves everybody he talks to everybody he's kind he's gentle we need more of the fruit of the spirit to be our reputation rather than the gifts of the spirit what good is the gift of the spirit if i'm not kind to my brother or my sister in the church somebody say amen the next point is structure and i'm trying to hurry a solid structure includes foundations Walls and ceiling, all three of these things are pivotal to the construction of a home. Foundations are made up of principles. In order to have a foundation to build a home, you have to dig down deep enough in the earth that when you pour the concrete and you drive the rebar down into the earth, into the ground, it won't give way to the weight of what's on top. If we're to have an ordered life, we have to have a structured life. We have to know what the word says. We have to know more scripture than Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. We have to know more scripture than Acts two thirty eight. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We have to know more than just those. St- Those salvation and oneness scriptures, we have to know what the word says, not just because somebody else said it, but because I've dug deep in my life and I've created a foundation, a rock by which I can build my life upon. Luke 6 and 48 says he is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Let me say this. If you're a new believer, you're a guest here tonight, we welcome you. But you can never go wrong by digging your life deeper in the word of God because Jesus will never fail you. Jesus will never leave you. Jesus will never forsake you. My house will be set in order because I have made a decision to live an ordered life by knowing what I believe. Not just knowing it, but living it out every day. We must have foundations that are dug deep. We got to know what we believe and be not afraid to proclaim that we are apostolic. People say, "What church do you go to?" I say, "New Life Fellowship." They say, "Oh, that's non-denominational." I said, "Well, we're affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International, but we're Pentecostal by style of worship and apostolic in doctrine." They say, "Say what?" <laughs> I said, "We clap our hands and we shout, and we talk in tongues." And they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, nice, nice." I've been to one of those before. I'm like, "Fantastic! Come to one of ours." They said, what is apostolic? And it opens the door and I tell them, here's what we believe. It's not my opinion, but it's what does saith the Lord. And it opens up a door because I have dug a foundation in my life to know God more than a Sunday morning. To know God more than a Wednesday night. I've dug deep to find out who he really is and what he wants to be in my life. And then we have walls. Walls are made up of convictions. Everybody say convictions. Proverbs 4 and 23. Guard your heart above all else. It is the source of life. Everybody say my heart is my life source. When building a home and you began to start erecting the walls, you have to make sure that the corners are square. And that the wall is level, it's plumb, before nailing it in place. Because the walls of the home are what keep us secure. And that's what convictions are. Convictions that I possess are what keep me secure in my walk with God. They're not just what what those who have gone on before me have believed, but they're walls of convictions that I've put in place for my life. Guards, A guard of of sort of conviction that says, this is what I believe. Now, you can do that, but I, this is what I believe. I, we got to get back to where we have convictions personal convictions. Amen. It gets real tight when you start talking about convictions. Because we have a mentality, a, a world today says, Don't tell me how to live, preacher. Don't tell me where, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it. I'm not. Don't worry. But we got to have personal convictions. My conviction can't be, John, pastor said I have to do this. Because if I do it just because somebody else said I have to do it and it's not deep in my spirit and I don't do it to order my life, then I'm doing it in vain. If it's not a part of who I am, If it does not become, my conviction does not become a, a, a piece of fabric of my being, then it does no good on my daily walk with God. If there's one thing that's missing in our current day and age, it's honor and respect. And we have ceilings or the roof, which is the covering, which is honor and respect. Honor and respect for who? For the authorities, both natural and spiritual authorities. I got pulled over, speaking of speeding, I got pulled over about, I don't know, a week or so ago, two weeks ago. Your car has 378,000 miles on it, and I drive like this. I have a little place where my foot and my heel sets, and my foot got on the mat, and I was trying to fix my mat while I was driving down the road, and it was 55 miles an hour, and I looked down, and I was running 71 on Highway 40, better known as the State Police Toll Road. <laughs> and I, I was trying to fix the mat, and I looked up, and I saw headlights in the median. And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. So I did what every Christian should do. I just pulled over. I didn't wait for him to turn on the lights. I knew I'd been got. I knew I was running. And I thought he maybe had got me at 66 at 55. He walks up to the window. I have my license. I have my registration. He goes, everything good tonight, sir? I went, yeah, I am so sorry. I broke the law. I did it. I, I realized I was going fast. I said, he goes, why are you going so fast? I said, I wasn't trying to this time. As God's my witness, I said that. He went, what? I went, never mind. I said, my hall, oh, my floor, my mat, I have... A lot of miles on my car, and I got a spot where my rug gets stuck, and I was trying to move my rug, and I kept hitting the gas pedal, and I realized I was going 71. I went, he goes, I said, I when I looked up and saw you, I was going 66. He goes, ah, I clocked you at 71. I said, okay, let's, be, let's meet in the middle, 71 it is. <laughs> and he's laughing, and I'm like, I'm praying, and I, I think I had Ethan in the car, and I said, I'm God. Here it is. Here comes my, uh, dri- my driving school so I don't get any points on my license. And I said, but Lord, your will be done. But please let me not get out of this ticket in Jesus' name. <laughs> and, you know, you got the light shining in your eye. on like this. And I, I-, I said, and I- he comes back up to the car and he shines his flashlight and he looks down and the- he goes, M- move your feet a second. Clicks it and goes, yep, there's a worn out spot. All right, here's your warning. He goes, man, just slow down a little bit. I said, you got it, sir. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do and keeping our roads safe. (laughs) And I said, God bless you. And I'm sorry I won't speed again on this road. And he said, thank you. (laughs) He said, thank you. I said, bless you. And I drove off. My heart, I checked my Apple Watch. My heart rate was coming back down. I said, thank you, Lord. But see, we live in a society today and I'm trying to hurry that most people would have got mad at that authority for doing his job when I was the one that broke the law. We've lost the honor and respect not only for our law enforcement and our uh, those that are in elected positions and officials. Regardless of what they do, we are still supposed to show honor and respect. But even more so, right here in this house, we have to show honor and respect not only to each other but to the leadership that God has placed in this house. I taught my kids, maybe it's a Southern thing. I think it's a Christian thing. You never call an adult by their first name. I'm old school. My kids are the same. They'll tell you even at 19 and 17. If I call their name and I hear a huh or what, I walk to the stairway and I say, excuse me? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Because I want them to know it doesn't matter whether you're a teenager. Respect and honor is not just for our youth. It's for our adult life as well. And I've always been taught, and this is just me, speak when you're spoken to. Oh, that went over like high heel tennis shoes. And somebody walks by me. And they say, hello, shame on me if I don't speak to them. Well, I don't know who they are. What does it matter? They're a human being. They're a soul. Hey, how's it going? Now, I've done that at times. and thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't know it was going to be a 15-minute conversation (laughs) out of my job. Sometimes I just go, hey, and I keep on walking. But speak when spoken to. That's honor. That's respect. We've got to learn. Hear me, young people. The ones you're in the youth group with right now, you're going to grow up with them. You're going to be adults with them. Don't create problems now with lack of honor and respect among yourselves or among the elders or the leadership of the church. Because eventually, you're going to be the elder. You're going to be the leader. And those that are coming up behind you, you're going to say, man, I wish I wish they had a little honor and respect. Honor and respect goes up the mountain and down the mountain. We have to have that structure, that ceiling of honor and respect in our life. Unhealthy families always, almost always seem to lack order. While we cannot make an absolute statement, it is highly unlikely and counterintuitive that a fully functional home can exist without good principles, convictions, and honors. Our relationships, not only you and I, but at home, need structure. Both our marriages and our children have to have structure. Everybody say finances, and I'm hurrying. A good work ethic and the self-control are critical to an ordered life. What do you mean? I mean simply just get up and go to work every day. Be a good steward of the money that God has given you. The paycheck you're going to get in two days, or maybe you got paid today, that's not yours. That's what God has given you. He's entrusted you with that money that you will give back to the Lord a tithe and a sacrifice of praise and an offering, and that you will pay your bills and that you'll get up the next week and go to work again. we got to have our a good work ethic in our lives. And sometimes we think of a lottery mentality or some immediate income, oh man, if I could just... If I could just hit that big one. (laughs) Let me just say this. I've never bought a lottery ticket. But when I worked for Frito-Lay for about six years, customers would give me like dollar scratch-offs for Christmas, like $10, right? I didn't scratch them for a long time. And finally one day I asked, I called my former pastor pastor and said, Do I scratch these? I didn't buy them. I didn't gamble them. Did I buy him? He goes, you didn't pay for him? I said, nope, he goes, scratch away. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just kidding. And can I tell you, in six years and over probably $100 worth of scratch-offs, I never won $1. I've walked in parking lots, saw him laying on the ground, thinking, come on, I need that. Lord, you know. (laughs) God ain't going to honor a lottery mentality. He's going to honor a good work ethic and self-control over the finances that God gives me. You say, well, I don't have a lot of finances. Well, be good with what you got. And when you're good with what you got, God will give you more because he can trust that you'll be good with it. Mm. The sustained financial Health always, financial health always features self control and predetermined spending and saving. We either order our money and finances or we lose our finances. You can't spend it all and save it all at the same time. When our finances get in order of our life, then we are in control of where it goes and where it doesn't go. Many people want to give to the kingdom of God, but they always say the same thing. They just don't have it to give. But the truth is that our finances are out of order. While there is some debt like medical bills or tragic unforeseen financial crisis, most debt is self-inflicted. Far more people are in debt by virtue of their desire than by physical or medical need. I had kids when I was growing up, they, I thought they were rich. Come to find out, they owed a lot of people. Everybody that presents themselves as having a lot of money or being financially stable is not always that way. They just dug themselves into a financial crisis because they don't have self-control of their finances. In times of trouble, we don't know when that will come, but we do know that the sun shines on the just and the unjust. It rains on the just and the unjust. The scripture speaks of trouble in this life. Jesus said, Not to boast of tomorrow, for tomorrow holds its own level of evil. The enemy, the deceitful one, has flooded people of God in our present time with anxiety and panic attacks, depression, oppression. He wants you to get so overwhelmed in this life that you begin to spiral into a life of chaos and that your life gets out of order. Isaiah 41 and 13 in the NIV says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. An ordered life will keep us from heartache and pain. It will not keep us from those, excuse me, it will not stop sickness or emotional pain from coming our way. But if we have an ordered life, it will give us the ability to deal with any trouble that comes our way. There's always going to be constants in your life, good and bad times, high and low health and sickness, gain and loss. But if we can have a predictable life, a life that has boundaries, a life that has disciplines, a life that has foundation and walls and ceilings, if we have an ordered life when we are in need because we have developed a relationship with God along the way before trouble has ever came to our door, we repeat the process, we repeat the good with praise and worship, and we serve Why? Because I've created an ordered life that is disciplined, not based on my circumstance, but based on who he is in my life. So when trouble comes, be not dismayed. Lift your eyes to the hills. That's where your help comes from. And give him praise. Give him worship. Keep serving. Keep being faithful in the house of God. Because as when times of trouble come, and they will come, my ordered life is what's going to keep me. I want to have an ordered life. I want to be so predictable in the house of God that when I walk on this campus or you walk on this campus, the enemy and all of hell gets nervous because they know that we've not just waited till Sunday morning to pray. The hell knows that we've not waited to open the word when pastor gets to the pulpit, but we've been disciplined on Monday through Friday, and we've come in this house, and miracles, signs, and wonders are gonna come because we have an ordered life been a healthy house. Clap your hands unto the Lord right now. Stand with me. I'm, 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 I'm closing. Once again, there are no absolute statements here. However, a lifestyle without these features has a difficult time with the death of a loved one or loss of a job or a physical, emotional sickness, family trouble or host of other issues. But a life which features the, all the above elements is the best way to live through crisis and thrive in trouble. If we want to live when trouble comes and we want to th- not just survive, but we want to thrive, we have to take this lesson tonight and make it applicable every single day. I want to have boundaries in my life. I want to be kind. I want to have honor and respect. Because that's what's going to keep me saved. That's going to keep me when the darkness is trying to invade upon our culture and our society. Lord, I thank you right now for your spirit that I feel in this house. I thank you right now, Father, for the boundaries of your word. For the pattern by which you've planned and laid out so greatly, God. I thank you right now, Lord, for life that's ordered of you. That when chaos and trouble tries to infiltrate, God, this house that is built by your spirit. God, I can withstand all the wiles of the devil. I pray, God, for those under the sound of my voice today that you would help them and keep them that they would have a life that is ordered by you, Lord, that they would be structured, that their finances would be in order, that their boundaries and their their disciplines would be in order, God, that you would help them not only to sustain them, but that they may grow in the admonition of your word and of your spirit. I pray, God, that we not only do this just so we can be saved, but, God, I pray that so that the power of your spirit will prevail through us, God. Let us as a body of believers be a conduit that your spirit must- flow freely through. And we're going to give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say in Jesus' name.